They sing new songs. I don't know about you. Sometimes the songs just stick in my head. This, that was one of those. That just kept on rolling around throughout the whole last hour. And choir, thank you so much. Uh, Be Thou My Vision, it's, it's one of my favorites. Y'all, he, you say, man, that guy has lots of favorites. I have lots of favorites. It was great. Thank you. I loved it. So It's a blessing. You know, we're continuing on in our series called Ancestry.God. It's kind of a play on the whole notion of Ancestry.com. I didn't really realize how kind of popular the Ancestry deal was. And we went down to visit my son uh, down in Houston uh, this last week. And they just had a DNA swab done so they could tell where they, you know, came from. I said, what am I, like chopped liver? No, you know, <laughs> chopped liver? I, you came from me. I, I, I said, your DNA. But uh, anyway, they've kind of discovered lots of, lots of good things, I guess. And uh, so it's kind of exciting. It's kind of where a lot of things are going. And, and what we're doing as we go through the summer is we're looking at our family tree from the faith point of view. Uh, we started out with Adam. Uh, Adam in the Hebrew means man or human. And as we looked at Adam, we found out what it means to be human. And we, we did that for a couple of weeks. Then we looked at Noah and what life is like under the rainbow. And now as you live under the rainbow, there are floods, but there is also God's protection. And we looked at that a couple of weeks back. And today we're going to look at Abraham. And as we look at Abraham, what it, we're going to find out what it means to follow God's promise. And so... I want to read for us uh, from chapter 12, verses 1 and and 2 that Heather read just a a few moments ago. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house and go to the land that I will show you And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Go to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you, and through you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The word of God for us as people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we're always grateful for your word. We're always grateful for the ways that it it leads us into those places and to be the people that you would have us to be. We thank you for the way that your spirit is always calling us always summoning us to go and to follow and to find out what it means to live lives of faith, lives that trust in Jesus Christ and how your spirit moves in and through our hearts and lives. We thank you for this blessing of what it means to be your people, part of your family tree in Christ. For that, we give you our thanks and praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In 1968, when Bill Gates was in the eighth grade, it's when he started his uh, career, I guess you might say, in in computers, and and he began on a machine that was bought with proceeds from a rummage sale. I kind of think about that. It started out with proceeds from a rummage sale. Uh, In less than 10 years, 
He founded Microsoft, 1975. Fast forward another 10 years, he made his first release of Windows, and you know, I, every computer I know of has Windows on it, you know, so in 10 years he releases Windows. 10 years later, 1995, he's the richest man in the world. And uh, I guess when you have your stuff on every, every personal computer in the world, you'd be the richest man in the world. And, and that's a title he's held for almost 20 years. Now, I tell you, when you get to that point, you know, when you kind of, you've made it when you get to that point when you're the richest man in the world for 20 years, and you really are in a lot of ways. He's a self-made man. And being a self-made man, he could have just settled back in Seattle and said, you know, whatever I want to do, whatever interests me, whatever uh, my desires are, whatever pursuit I want to follow, you know, I, I can do all of it. I can do any of it. You know, he could just kind of settled in and kind of done those things that he wanted to do. But you know, there's something stirring in Bill Gates, something, something more than that. And you may know the more part of his story. Because Bill calls himself, uh, well, I guess I call him a quasi-religious man. He calls himself a participating Catholic. And that is kind of in contrast to a practicing Catholic. Uh, his wife, Melinda, is the practicing Catholic in the group. Uh, and by the way, Melinda is a Dallas girl, so I kind of give thanks for her and for her influence because I think we see a lot of her influence in what's kind of unfolding in Bill's life. But he calls himself a participating Catholic, and in that participation, what he does is he, he's made this statement, and the statement goes like this. I've been lucky. I've been lucky. And therefore, I owe it. I owe it to try to reduce the inequity in the world. I've been lucky. And therefore, I owe it to try to reduce the inequity in the world. And then he made this statement, this phrase. He says, that's kind of a religious statement. I want to tell you, friends, that is kind of a religious statement. <laughs> in fact, I think it's more than simply kind of a religious statement. I think if we were to reframe that or rephrase that in religious language, you may reframe it or rephrase it like this. You know, I've been lucky is I've been blessed. That's how we would frame it out in religious language. And because I have been blessed, he says, therefore, I owe it to try to reduce the inequity in the world. The way I would reframe that is I've been blessed. And so what I will do is be a blessing. I have been blessed. And so in that notion, that understanding that I have been blessed, and what I'm going to do is to live into being a blessing. And following that, what Bill has done, and you may know how this part of the story unfolds, he has given away $28 billion. Maybe even more than that now. I think that number is kind of an old number. Not million dollars, billion dollars. He is on track to giving away over 99% of his fortune. His fortune stands at $90 billion. So y'all can do the math on 99% of $90 billion. I don't know how much that is. It kind of staggers my mind. But, but the whole notion is he's, going, he's on track to give away that much money toward agricultural, educational, and health issues and needs across the United States and around the world. 
And not only has he done that in terms of his own fortune, what he's done is he's challenged other billionaires. And in that challenge to other billionaires, what he's done is invited them. It's called the giving pledge. He's invited them to come alongside and to participate. And I begin to think, what, what will be the impact of, of what he is doing? I mean, you know, just try to wrap your mind or just think about it for just a moment of how many lives he will touch, not only how many lives he will touch, but how many lives those lives will touch. It's mind-boggling. It's kind of a, kind of a God-sized dimension kind of a thing where he begins to step into the whole notion of I have been blessed to be a blessing. Now, you may be sitting there and you're thinking, you know, I know, I could be in the blessing business if I had a billion dollars, too. Maybe. I, 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 in fact, it wouldn't take a billion for me. I could do it with a few measly million. You know, I could, I could go there. And, and you know, that's, you could do that. And, and I say, you know, that's, that's great, you know. Uh, but let me share with you or let me challenge you on this one thing. Being in the blessing business, it's not about money. Being in the blessing business is a mindset. It's not about money. It is a mindset. It's listening. It's being willing to listen to something that's stirring in your heart. The spirit that's moving in your life. The call that comes to you from God about how you can participate how I can participate in what God is doing in the world. That we are blessed to be a blessing. Now, as we think about that phrase, you know, as we read the scripture this morning, you begin to see that that, that whole thought, that whole mindset, the whole notion, it's been around for a long time. Now, we read from Genesis 12, which is at the very beginning of the Bible, the very beginning of the family tree. The whole thing starts out with Abram. And what you see with Abram is he was a guy that followed that whole notion of blessed to be a blessing. And, and the Bible tells his story, and a lot of times his story starts out the way a lot of, the, the way a lot of us start out. Our stories doesn't start with us. It starts with somebody, you know, before us. Uh, and, and in this particular case, the way the Bible tells this story, it starts out with Abram's father. And it says, Abram's father is a guy named Terah. Terah lives in a place called the Ur of the Chaldeans, which there's a lot of debate about where that was. But the commonly uh, held thought is that at the edge of the tip of the Fertile Crescent over in Iraq, where the Tigris and Euphrates River valleys uh, come together. And as they come together, all that area is very fertile. And so Terah is down in that place, and he makes a decision from that place that he wants to go to the land of Canaan, which is kind of traveling from one tip of the Fertile Crescent all the way up to the moon and kind of down to the other side. And so he's going to make that journey. So what he does is he travels upriver, up the Tigris and Euphrates, and he gets to the place called Haran. And Haran is kind of a caravan crossroad. It's a trading post area, and when he gets to that trading post area, he's got a decision to make. Because once he leaves that trading post, and once he goes forward to go to Canaan, what he's doing is kind of, he's jumping off. He's taking a leap of faith. He's stepping outside of his culture and outside of what he knows, and he's going to a land that he doesn't know. And so he's at a spot where he's going to kind of make this decision to, to take a leap. And what he decides to do is not take the leap. 
What he decides to do is settle in at the crossroads. And when he settles in at the crossroads, he actually does quite well settling in at the crossroads. When we read through the scriptures, what we find out is that, you know, this guy, he was pretty much self-made. Or, you know, you can, you, as we read, he had possessions and he had people. And it said he acquired people. So it's not a matter of family. It's a matter of slaves. And so that's a sign of his wealth. And so he's doing really well there. Really a self-made person. And he's, he's doing really well there. What happens is the scripture comes along and says, you settle in, and there he died. Now, I know I've brought this point forward before, but it's a point that always sticks with me, that little phrase, there he died. Because I want to tell your friends, what it says to me is that where you and I decide that we're going to settle in, where you and I decide that there's nothing more that God has for us to do, when you and I make the choice that we're no longer going to be part of God's blessing in the world, something within us starts to die. There's something there that, you know, we, we lose something. And so what happens is it says, there, Terah, he died. But that's not the end of the story, and you and I know it's not the end of the story. What happens is at that place, at that crossroads, at that jumping off, at the place where we're going to take the leap of faith, the Spirit stirs in Abram. The Spirit stirs in his son. As the Spirit stirs in his son, the Spirit calls to him. Call, you know, we think about that, and, you know, call could be an audible command. God gives it, go, and uh, I'm sure, you know, that... That's the way it's portrayed, and I'm, when God speaks audibly, that's, that's great. Uh, a lot of times the way that I've experienced call, and maybe the way you've experienced call too, is not as audible command, but we experience call as this internal, insistent nudge. It's when God's spirit comes up close to your heart, close to your spirit, and just keeps on nudging you, you know, and won't let you go. And, you know, we call that prompting. That's kind of the religious term for that. But it's a prompting. And sometimes you want to put it aside. Sometimes you want to silence it. But it keeps on showing up. Something that you feel you need to do. Something you feel God's calling you to do. And so God is calling to Abraham. And as God calls to Abraham, God says this to Abraham. Abraham, what I need for you to do is I need for you to go to the land that I will show you to the future that I will show you, to the place that, that I will show you. I need you to go into that future. Follow me into that future. Follow me to that place. And when you follow me into that future, when you follow me into that place, I will make of you the person I would have you to be. Follow me into that future. And I will make of you the person I would have you to be. Abram knows he can't do that by staying where he is. Abram knows he can't do that by settling in. Abram knows what he has to do is he has to trust God. And in trusting God, he has to take that leap of faith. And as he takes that leap of faith, what he's doing is he's following God's promise. And that's, I think, what the scripture challenges you and I to do, is to follow God's promise. 
And the promise is this premise. The premise is this. God says, I will bless you so that you may be a blessing. Follow in faith that premise. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. You take that premise, you take that truth, you take that promise, and what you do is you follow it. And when you follow it, you see where it takes you. I will take you to the land that I will show you. And as you follow it, you see where it takes you. And you see what it makes of your life. It's a step of faith. It is a step of faith. And so Abram goes. He follows the promise. And as he follows the promise, what you see is that in that promise, I will bless you, so you may be blessing. There is actually in one statement, there's two affirmations. The first affirmation is this, that you are blessed, that I am blessed. To say that you are blessed, for me to say that I am blessed, is a judgment you make on your life. It's a judgment I make on my life. And it's a judgment I make whether things are good or whether things are bad, whether things are going my way or things aren't going my way. In, in marriage, when we, when we have the ceremony, we say for better, for worse, virtue for poor, in sickness and in health. You know, it doesn't, the conditions don't matter. What happens is you get up and you make the affirmation, I am blessed. I'm blessed to take a breath. I'm blessed to see the beauty of the flower or the beauty of the sunset. I'm blessed to hear the breeze as it blows through the trees. I'm blessed to taste my favorite food. I'm blessed to touch the hand of a friend or the face of a child. I'm blessed to have a friend. I'm blessed to have family. I'm blessed to have a relationship with God and Jesus Christ. See, what happens is what we do is we begin to look at our lives and you say, you know what, as I look at my life, life is a gift. It's not a given. And as a blessing, what happens is it's a gift from God to you and to me. And what we're doing in that first affirmation is affirming this is the reality of my life. This is the reality of your life. And what I would challenge us to do today as we follow the premise is the first thing you do is when you get up in the morning, take a second. It only takes a second to say to yourself, I am blessed and do it every day. And as you do it every day, I can guarantee you, as you begin to train your mind that way, it will shape your day. It it will impact kind of how you enter the day and how you feel about yourself and how you feel about what's going on. And if you want to take more than a second, take a minute and start writing down. Start counting the blessings. Not all of them, just three or four of them, you know. And you can put them in a little book. Some people keep what they call a blessing book. Just write it down, Just, just a few of them. Because when you begin to think about the whole notion I've been blessed, it begins to, again, shape your approach to what's going on in your life and how you feel about yourself and how you feel about others. So the first thing is, I've been blessed. The second affirmation is this. What happens with blessings is they always move beyond themselves. Blessings don't kind of come and stop and stick here. What they do is they, they keep on going. What God does is use you and me to, to kind of then pass that blessing on to the people around us. 
I'm blessed to be a blessing. And so the second part of the affirmation is this. You begin to think about what's going on in your day and you think, how can I be a blessing to the people around me? Who can I bless and, and how can I do that? Now, Gary Chapman has written a book called The Five Love Languages. It's a book that I recommend. Uh, I use it a lot of times in my premarital counseling, but it's a great book for life in general. And when he starts talking about blessing, what he does is he looks at blessing in five ways. You can bless people with your words. You can bless people with your time. You can bless people with your touch. You can bless people with your service, and you can bless people with your gifts. Words, time, touch, service, gifts. And you begin to think about that, and you can bless people with your words. A word of encouragement, a word of understanding, a word of caring, you know, a word of compassion. You and I have that ability. You know, we say sticks and stones may break my bones. Words will never hurt me. We know how that's kind of, you know, words do hurt. They do stick. You know, they can stick deep. But this is kind of the, the opposite of that. This is the contrast of that. Because when you say things that bless people, that sticks too. That builds up too. That encourages too. That makes a difference too. You and I can bless people with our words. You and I can bless people with our time. Goodness, we all know that there are lonely people in the world, and really what the lonely people are looking for in, in the world is just somebody to come and, and sit with them and to be with them. Sometimes we won't have to say a word. We just need to kind of be there. It's the time that they value. And sometimes it's, it's not simply about lonely people. Sometimes it's about our kids. You know, they just want our grandkids. They just want us to kind of show up at the game or show up at the at the recital, you know, just to be there. Your time counts. You bless people with your time. You bless people with your touch. You know, one of the things I love about coming to church here, being your pastor, I get to hug almost everybody as you walk out the door. <laughs> they say you need seven hugs, you know, to kind of make life good. Well, I kind of stock up every Sunday. <laughs> so it's, a, it's a pretty good thing. Uh, but, but the thing is, you know, that's important. Your touch is important to someone else. I think about, you know, when you pray in the evening, maybe, you know, if you pray around the dinner table at supper time, you know, hold hands. Or, you know, if you're praying with somebody else in some setting, hold hands. There's something about touching or giving somebody a reassuring hug or a pat on the head. Touch is powerful. You can bless people with your touch. You can bless people with your service, and service can be as simple as when people are coming into the doors of the church, you just hold open the door, big smile on your face, say, hey, glad you came to Spring Valley. It, it can be that simple. Or it can be, you know, it can get more complicated from there. I know next Sunday we're going down to Austin Street Shelter and making sandwiches and getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and going down there, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing to do. I know our last week our youth went over to Wesley Rank, and that was a great thing to do. And there are mission trips, and, you know, the service can just expand and expand, and it doesn't have to be simply about the church. I know a number of you volunteer, a number of us volunteer in, in all kinds of ways in the community, serving others in, in, in all kinds of facets, you know. And we can serve, you know, 
part of serving is I know a lady who is a great grandmother and, and she doesn't do much moving around and right now the way she serves is she knits Christmas stockings, you know. I mean that's just she that's how she serves. It's it's a matter of being creative. But you see we can be creative. And you can bless. And then there's the gifts, there's the generous gifts. You know, I think about the first church I served, we had a treasurer, and I'm not recommending we do this because I know it would drive our treasurer crazy, uh, but this particular, we only had 20 people in the church, so it wasn't hard to do it. <laughs> but uh, what this particular person, this particular treasurer did was she made, when, when children would come and they'd give their envelopes and they'd stick in like two cents, you know, or a dime, she would give every kid a personal giving statement every quarter. You know, and, you know, and so what, you know, what happened was uh, you know, what the kids began to, I mean, for her it was an act of love. But what she was trying to do is to let those kids know that their gifts counted. You know, she was recognizing in them and encouraging in them a spirit of generosity. Because generosity, and you and I know, is, is, is not about the size of the gift. It's about the heart of the gift. And so that's what she was trying to encourage. She was trying to encourage that heart of the gift. So, you know, you give two cents and you get a statement. And I remember that. And I also remember the time when I was sitting at my desk and I had a young guy come in and laid on my desk a check for $150,000. That'd be great too, wouldn't it? <laughs> and when he, said, when he laid that on my desk, he said, this is my tithe for the year. I said, man, you had a good year. <laughs> you know? I said, it's amazing. But you see, in a lot of ways, that those two cents and $150,000, in some ways, they were identical because they came from the heart. They came from a love for Christ. They were blessing. See, the challenge is to begin to think of how we can bless, who we can bless. You can get up in the morning, you know, write down a couple of the blessings, and you can get up and say, who will I bless this day? And maybe just kind of picture a person and think, this is what I'll do. Or you can kind of leave it more open then and say, God, this is my heart. This is where I want to go. You're going to bring me. And I tell you, as soon as you do that, God will bring you the opportunities. I promise you that. And you go into the day looking to bless somebody, and it will, they will show up. And you can be part of how God works in the world. Because that's what God's calling us to do. To bless, to know that we've been blessed. So that we can be a blessing. It's part of our family tree. It's part of our ancestry. It's part of our story. And when it, and it all starts with Abram. And in starting with Abraham, it's, what's beautiful about it is it, it continues all the way through. It continues even up into Jesus because when Matthew, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, when he tells the story of Jesus' family tree, the story of Jesus' family tree starts out like this. Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abram. See, what happens is this notion of I am blessed to be a blessing starts all the way out with Abram, leads all the way through to Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, we all know that we are blessed. You and I are blessed with salvation in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, we all know that we are blessed to be a blessing, to have that same servant heart, to go forward in that same Holy Spirit, 
to go forward in a way that even as Jesus is part of sharing and bringing God's love into the world, he invites us to do the same. Our closing hymn goes like this, come and live in the light. Shine, shine with the joy of the heart of the Lord. We are called to act with justice. We are called to live tenderly. We are called to serve one another and to walk humbly with God. Friends, you and I are blessed. We are blessed to be a blessing. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the ways that you bring forward your truth through the scripture. We give you thanks for the ways that would be a call, a nudge in our hearts to help us to understand how you pour your love into us in Christ in so many beautiful ways and how you then call us to pour out our lives into the lives of others that we might be part of that outpouring of beauty and love and grace in your world. And so it's in that gift of blessed to be a blessing that we give you thanks and praise for this word today and how it will work in and through our lives in the week ahead. Let it all be to your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.